the dwelling place of God. This week's parasha is entitled Terumah, which means contribution, and it takes us from Exodus 25 through 27:19. Adonai said, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. Let them construct a sanctuary for me. The subject matter of these chapters and really most of the rest of the book of Exodus is the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and the Ark of the Covenant. God gives Moses a very detailed blueprint, as it were, And the list of the materials for the construction is quite varied and really extravagant and fascinating. It included gold, silver, and bronze. Now, I don't know what gold closed at on Friday, but it's still up in the 1800s, right? High High 1700s, okay? Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet colored fabric. Goat hair. Ram's skins dyed red, porpoise skins. Where do you find those in the Sinai? Part of the treasures that we took with us out of Egypt, of course. Acacia wood, oil and spices, onyx stones and other precious and semi-precious stones. And all of this was for one most significant purpose, which God declared to be that I may dwell among them. The verb shachan, from which we get mishkan, means to dwell or to inhabit. God's command that we construct a tabernacle was not merely to keep us busy and out of trouble. It was to be a labor of love, with love as its ultimate purpose. People equate love with emotion, but authentic love is about commitment. Because our feelings wax and wane, but love leads to action. It always yields tangible results. Love costs something. Well, here was an opportunity for our people to express their love for Adonai. Though Israel left Egypt with great wealth, it doesn't mean that everyone had gold to contribute or even necessarily silver or bronze But I think it's safe to say that everyone had something on that list, even if it was just spices. And there wasn't even the slightest hint of compulsion. This was altogether voluntary. Let me reiterate. God said, from every man whose heart moves him. The ark, of course, was the most significant piece of furniture. It was to be made out of acacia wood and overlaid with pure gold inside and out. It was never to be picked up and hand-carried, but four rings of cast gold were to be fastened at its four corners. And poles, also of acacia wood and also overlaid with gold, were to be used to carry the ark whenever it was time for Israel to pack up and set out. The ark would hold the tablets containing the Ten Commandments, also called the Testimony, And eventually also it will house the jar containing the sample of manna and Aaron's rod, which had sprouted buds, confirming God's choice of the tribe of Levi to serve him there. The ark was to have a solid gold covering called the kaporet, 
which means covering, but which has come to be translated alternately as the mercy seat or propitiation. Because that same root, kaper, is the verb for atonement. Its dimensions were to match the length and width of the ark, but it it was far more than just the top of a box. In fact, it was of such importance that in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, the Holy of Holies is actually called the House of the Kaporet. Above the Kaporet was where God would manifest himself in a cloud, Leviticus 16. The Kaporet was also to be adorned on its top with two golden cherubim. I know right now you're starting to hear uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark music going through your head. Adorned on its top with two golden cherubim, also of solid gold, facing each other, one at each end, their wings spreading over it and touching each other at the center. In chapter 27, we find that the altar was also to be constructed of acacia, seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. This is big and four and a half feet high. But the altar was to be overlaid with bronze rather than gold. Remember, there's going to be burnt offerings on there, and bronze, I guess, has a much higher temperature at which it begins to melt, so it's safe. The altar was to have four horns, one adorning each corner, but not glued on. Rather, those horns were to be carved out of the same single piece of acacia wood as the top of the altar. The altar was also to be carried by poles rather than by hand. We are meant by this to understand the holiness of these things. Sinful human hands were never to touch them once they were completed. The tools for the altar were likewise to be made of bronze. Finally, we are given the dimensions of the outer courtyard surrounding the tent, 150 feet, by 75 feet. Let me share a few closing thoughts about Parashat Thurman. Now think about this. Couldn't God, who is all-powerful and who is whose artistry is infinitely greater and more imaginative than anything we could come up with, couldn't he have simply spoken a word and brought a tabernacle into existence? Wouldn't something made by him have been vastly more beautiful and refined than anything of our own doing? Yet he asked frail and sinful men to construct it. Perhaps we are to see, for example, the use of porpoise skins and goat's hair and wood and fabric and bronze as representing man's earthbound nature, whereas the silver and the gold and the precious stones represent God's purity and holiness. But the point is, God invites us to participate rather than merely observe. He certainly could do things more skillfully, more thoughtfully, more efficiently than we, but by bringing a perfect end result out of the imperfect efforts of human hands, he will receive all the more glory. Secondly, during the wilderness wandering, the Ark of the Covenant was at least occasionally visible as Israel followed God and moved from place to place. But think about this. Eventually, the Ark would be placed 
permanently within the Holy of Holies in the temple where it would only be seen by one man, the high priest, and just once each year and only for a very short period of time. Why then all this beauty, the ornate hammered gold, the winged cherubim, if it would never be seen and appreciated by men? I think the point of it is that the beauty of all these things is for him. Just as there are beautiful mountain flowers that no one ever sees and fascinating deep sea creatures that until recently we did not even know were there. No one had ever seen them, but he sees them. He is pleased by those things. He created them and he created everything and everyone for his pleasure. Finally, and here's the thing. The tabernacle isn't about us. It's about God's glory. But the tabernacle is definitely for our sake. During the existence of the tabernacle and later the temple, God humbled himself to dwell in the midst of a community of sinful human beings. Just remarkable that the Holy One would deign to dwell with men. It's amazing to think then that in the new covenant, inaugurated by Yeshua the Messiah, God is dwelling by his spirit within us. Rabbi Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. If we are his house, then it stands to reason that we need to keep that house clean. Passover is approaching. What leaven would he have you remove from your holy temple?